This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Michael Anderson is the Chief Growth Officer at Boodle AI, where they are putting AI and machine learning to work to help organizations acquire and retain donors, consumers, and investors. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Michael takes us through the work Boodle AI is doing and why predictive analytics can be helpful to your growth. Plus, he explains the need for simplicity in your messaging and the critical reason why sales and marketing always need to be aligned. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And I've wanted you on this podcast for some time now, Mr. Anderson. (laughs) Mike, how's it going? Uh, It's going well, man. How are you doing? I couldn't resist. I'm sure you've got that a million times. (laughs) I wish I could say yes. Well, you know, it's always uh, it's always good to be uh, first to Plymouth Rock. So today we are going to be diving into your career as the chief growth officer at Boodle AI. Um, you've had a bunch of really cool stops along the way. Also, uh, a fellow West Point grad and, and army captain like myself. Uh, so maybe we'll do a little military talk here at the end. But before all of that, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, that's great. I'll try and keep the long story uh, uh, short here. But, uh, you know, basically after getting out of the military, uh, as you know, Ian, um, really you're always thinking about, all right, what do I do? How do I take what I've learned at school? How do I take what I've learned in the military and maybe even apply that uh, to something that has value in the private sector? And, you know, what I really quickly fell into and very, just very, very typical of, uh, I think a lot of our, our tribe is into consulting. And I started off because I have a applied math background working for, uh, for Booz Allen for a couple of years on an international five eyes PA, which was really intriguing, learned a lot, got to travel a lot, but really most of my work was experimentation for uh, network capacity testing and a lot of fun. It just, at some point uh, you kind of get tired of sitting in a room and doing long division all day. And that's when I decided to, uh, to kind of get out into the corporate world. And I had a, a a number of passions in terms of you know sales and marketing specifically, but then also profit and loss management. So uh, you know quickly after leaving consulting, I moved into the IT services world and uh, was there for you know about five years before realizing that you know big businesses were just not really for me, and uh, really really enjoy kind of the the nature of the startup, uh, what's in play, what's at risk. Something that you know again is I think. Uh, more attuned to the type of risk that you take in the military. And, you know, I thought, w- what a great way to to kind of apply, you know, some of the skills that I have uh, to a business that is in a kind of early growth stage and could really use it. And, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, along the way, having sold uh, at big businesses and then, you know, moving to, uh, a you know, a training as a service company and then, you know, here to Boodle, uh, an actual software as a service platform. Uh, I really came to enjoy marketing and I really, you know, practically started to understand the importance of, of that kind of convergence between sales and marketing, especially in startup world. 
I think it was one of those things that initially I just really took kind of for granted because, uh, you know, when you work for a big publicly traded IT services company, uh, marketing means something uh, very different, still very powerful, very important. But, uh, you know, marketing for a, a tech startup is just, it's your absolute lifeblood, right? And, you know, starting a business or growing a business really requires some level of brand awareness, some level of brand presence. So you get your salespeople, quite frankly, on the phone, right? And it is very difficult as you're trying to start selling an offering if no one has any freaking clue who you are and what you do. And if there's any type of basic product market fit. So again, just, you know, over the years, I would call myself an amateur marketer, you know, aside from the two courses that I took in business school, you know, I have no real formal training. But um, again, what I've learned, just to, to kind of uh, take a long story and make it a bit shorter, is that uh, just initial brand awareness, especially for smaller tech growth companies, you know, like ours at Boodle and my old company, the Data Incubator, are just completely essential to starting a sales conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and I think what kind of your trajectory is is this new kind of wave that's why you know we have chief growth officers on our show because um you have this new blend of marketer that grew up in it or grew up in tech or grew up as a developer and you know as they moved closer and closer to the business naturally they moved closer and closer to marketing which yeah. is so interesting um because historically that's been more of you know maybe you move into sales and you get closer to the business but now with the rise of you know direct to consumer and all these sort of things marketers are closer to the customer than ever yeah that's a great point and you know i think there's really kind of two threads that i see there kind of this natural move towards you know what you just said the chief growth officer where, you know, marketing and sales and customer success and, you know, anybody who serves a customer or helps them grow, um, you know, kind of sits. And it's this convergence of, listen, especially in the startup world, our objectives are holistic. We need to make money to keep the lights on and to get to a point where our product has enough momentum, or our service has enough momentum that we can continue to keep the lights on. So it simplifies everything. And instead of having, especially in smaller businesses, a chief marketing officer, a chief sales officer, or chief revenue officer alone, a head of sales, a head of BD, you're seeing kind of everybody fall under this umbrella. And you know, I just find it really interesting. That's kind of the first thread. Um, the other thread is if you think about just the tools that exist in the space, right? Some of the tools that... Um, you know, we'll, we'll say for lack of a better way of putting it, growth organizations look at, you need to have um, some level of quantitative literacy to be able to use them, right? So, you know, your, your standard kind of IT guy, and maybe that's not a, a good way to put it, but maybe your standard data analyst before, their skill set is actually incredibly valuable in using a lot of these tools and helping growth organizations figure out, all right, am I getting ROI out of this? Is this a good approach? Is this a quantitatively sound approach? Are we using our resources in the best way that we can? So you have all these outside players that have these quantitative skill sets, and they become really valuable in this ecosystem of marketing tools, especially SaaS tools, 
that are incredibly, incredibly valuable to businesses, big and small, really. So I just, I think those are the two, two things that have kind of led to the advent of, you know, greater growth organizations, right? Yeah. So flash forward to today. Um, tell me a little bit about Budoya. So Boodle, uh, I mean, obviously I'm biased, really cool product. Um, basically what we do is we take target records uh, for either commercial businesses or nonprofits. And we help uh, salespeople find their best prospects in a prospect list, or we find uh, development organizations for nonprofits, find their best donors in a donor list. And uh, very interesting process. Um, again, we're B2C focused, which is something that I think is kind of uncommon in this space. Nobody is really thinking about um, how you build these types of insights to get direct to the consumer. I mean, it, that's, I guess, slightly absurd. There are, there are tools out there. But what we're doing is t- taking um, you know, a proper machine learning approach to solving some of these problems for our customers. And we're also leveraging uh, external data and just finding things that are predictive or features that are predictive of a person's behavior that you, know, you don't really find when you're pulling a, a prospect list out of a CRM. And you're trying to figure out as a salesperson or as a development officer, okay, who are my first 10 phone calls today, right? So being able to take a massive amount of data and and really look at it in a way in which you find meaningful features that are predictive of someone's behavior and you're enabling the salesperson, the development officer to help raise more money or make more sales, it's a pretty powerful thing. And that's, that's what we're in the business of doing. Yeah. You know, when we, um, and I, I know, I know your CEO, uh, Sean pretty well. And when we were talking about, you know, this company, gosh, a couple of years ago at this point, the idea that, you know, specifically in the nonprofit community, they have these massive lists and they just have no idea how to approach them. But the problem is you need some level of, predictive AI to help you do that. Like it, you know, it's, it's obvious that that's the case. Um, and it's similar to like account-based marketing, you know, how do you choose your target accounts and things like that for the enterprise? The problem is it's not, you know, 400 accounts, it's 400,000 or 4 million people that you need to sort through. So clearly a human can't do it. The only option that you have is using something like AI. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's worth saying, um, and I, it's funny, I, I like to keep things, I like to think of things simply, and it's probably because I grew up with a, a car salesman, <laughs> but I like to like distill things down to the kind of um, most basic groups. And if you look at machine learning, right, and you think about some of the cynicism around, you know, products that exist, uh, you know, it, we'll just say in the marketing community, basically, uh, people are, we'll just say they're uncomfortable with the approach. And it seems like a lot of the products out there are really vaporware because they're, they're crunching a bunch of numbers, right? They're looking at a bunch of data and they're providing a bunch of like what are supposedly meaningful insights, but they don't really understand how they're getting to those insights. And until they actually test them, until they actually try and push their product or their service, whether or not they're valuable. But what's really uh, kind of the low hanging fruit for the, you know, the chief marketing officer of the world, the growth officer of the world are looking at tools like ours that leverage, you know, structured tabular data 
because just simply, it's just easier to take segmented tabular data and train a machine to find, you know, features um, that are meaningful for those actual, uh, you know, people to, to leverage the tool versus taking, you know, swaths of unstructured data, trying to structure it, and then, you know, using more of like an unsupervised learning approach to make sense uh, of kind of what's sitting out there in the ether. So again, you know, the tools that are using structured data and, and are doing and utilizing supervised learning techniques, that, that's the stuff that's highly precise now, right? And I might get in trouble with some of my, my data scientists, friends, or some of the people that may listen to this podcast that are former TDI uh, students and PhDs in pure applied math. But I'm just going to say it. I, this is the low-hanging fruit in the AI world right now. And this is the stuff that people can action, you know, now. And that tools are doing a good job of actioning or creating actual insights of now. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk on this show about, you know, what technologies marketers are excited about. And uh, pretty much most people say AI or machine learning in some form or fashion. And, you know, marketers' problem, especially in B2C, is increasingly a data problem. Um, but the other piece of this is like, you know, a lot of times you have these massive lists or customer lists or things like that. But A, you need to, you know, not just figure out who's in your list and the data points that you have. Maybe if you're, you know, a nonprofit, all you've been doing is getting people's emails. You don't even have a name. You don't have anything else. So you really just have a list of emails. The other thing you need to be able to pattern match across like a, a, another large data set to figure out you know, some insights. Um, obviously you all do that with Boodle. I'm curious, like, how does that, how does that work to drive insights by using, you know, a, a third party list plus their own uh, kind of like proprietary list? Right. And it's just, so basically, you know, and, and stop me if I'm, I'm going the wrong way here, Ian, but it's data, like the greater data enrichment strategy, right? Like taking a couple of records and using, you know, kind of the vast amounts of external data that you can compile through social media um, and just, you know, really other sources that have meaningful predictive, you know, meaningful predictive variables, predictive of behavior of the consumer. And, you know, quite frankly, I understand that there's kind of a lot of paranoia out there about, um, you know, the data that's, that's collected on, um, you know, Americans, uh, adult Americans in this country. But, these things are really, uh, in my mind, if you look at a lot of the available data sources out there that you can enrich these records with and, and kind of come up with uh, bigger and better insights against these consumers, none of it is, is overwhelmingly uh, invasive by any means. These are just like simple, simple things that uh, may be predictive of your behavior. And quite frankly, as a consumer, you know, I like the idea of someone being able to look at you know, where I live and what time of year it is. And, you know, and this is again, just maybe kind of a ridiculous example, but how many dogs I have and have that be predictive of me buying a particular product. I mean, I'm a person quite frankly, that appreciates that, right? They're, they're almost looking at, or a machine is looking at the things that I may not even be thinking about top of mind and relating those in a way that brings me a valuable product or service. So you, you've heard it from the evangelist. I'll step off my soapbox when it comes to that, but it, you know, practice wise data enrichment, is what we do. And I, I know it's what a lot of, um, you know, B2B tools are, are 
you know, doing right now in terms of a, um, an overall data strategy. So you all started with working mostly with like a ton of nonprofits who I would imagine don't have the most robust marketing uh, departments and probably have pretty limited resources when it comes to, you know, figuring out how, how to leverage, uh, how to leverage their list and things like that. Um, they don't have some of the, uh, marketing wizards here that we have as listeners to the show. Um, what were some of the insights in working with some of the nonprofits to say, Hey, you have a massive list of people and you know, that a bunch of these people would love to support you, but the way in which you're kind of going about prioritizing those is not working and kind of, you know, here's how, here's how you can leverage AI. You know, to start off from kind of like the, the human, you know, capital perspective, there's just a lot of talented people um, in these larger nonprofits. And, you know, I've, I've been on a couple months here, but, you know, I've been able to talk to well over a hundred, you know, prospective or existing customers. And I think that's kind of um, an overwhelming theme is even amongst these bigger nonprofits, uh, the talented people, they don't have the same resources uh, and they don't necessarily have the same marketing budget set aside that a, a private sector company, for-profit company would have. You know, a lot of what we focused on, and I think this is really what, what Sean's, uh, um, you know, kind of initial thesis was for the tool is that create something around your existing data that allows, you know, essentially one development human being to do the work of four very simply with, you know, a stated impact. Like I know what I'm getting if I'm using this. So I think that's, uh, again, really important. You know, there's a lot of pressure and I certainly understand this pressure to use, um, you know, money very, very wisely amongst even larger nonprofits. But, um, you know, quite frankly, they run really, really lean. So having these conversations about how we can make the best use of your data and help you make the best use of it very, very quickly and precisely is just, it's the reason that our, our business, I know personally has just grown really, really quickly. And I think it'll really continue to grow quickly in the nonprofit space. In talking with a bunch of marketers, what are some of the things that you were kind of consistently hearing, like not on the nonprofit side, but uh, on the for-profit side, uh, what were you kind of hearing from the folks that you all have been talking to and, and some of your customers? I think one of the biggest, just an important thing though, is, is one of the biggest challenges we have is just to get in, get in and get past um, people's perception of using like vast amounts of very, really rich you know, personal data to help build profiles or, or, you know, give them better understanding of their customers. Because quite frankly, you know, a lot of people still tracking five, six, seven things about, you know, their potential or existing customers in their CRM. I mean, I've seen this even with, you know, marketing groups. I don't mean this in a bad way. This is just not, not necessarily a bad way to do it, but they'll download, you know, massive list of a CRM and, they'll start segmenting those lists just manually, right? Like they'll say, listen, if I'm going to apply X product to, you know, Y person in Z campaign, well, uh, my gut tells me that I should look 
for you know these three things. So what do they do? They filter through really quickly. They filter it down to you know these you know three or four things that make it the customer they want to market their product or service to, and they run with it because it's fast, it's intuitive, and it's something where listen they trust themselves. Which you know again, there's a reason people use their gut, right? Human intuition is powerful, but still there's like there's things they're missing in that approach. I think getting past, um, and I know this isn't necessarily what you asked, but I think getting past um, that kind of first conversation with how do we do it today? And it kind of works well. And I do learn a lot about my customers through continuous feedback. It, it can be better. Right. And that's kind of our, our whole, um, you know, thesis at Google or at Boodle. It can be just that much better. Yeah. Any other mistakes that you see marketers making when it comes to their data and, and developing those personas? Yeah, that's a great question. There are some, that are just far more data savvy than others. But what I would say is that, you know, maintaining, and this is going to sound maybe kind of silly coming from someone who makes a living creating insights, um, you know, predictive insights off of data, but it really comes down to like what I would call more of a data hygiene type issue, which is, you know, making sure that you have a good standard operating procedure for, you know, essentially your data intake having some level of like, and again, what this really leads to is just like high fidelity data. You know, do you have a, 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 a kind of like a passive inbound marketing campaign going, well, you're collecting email addresses and certain information. Well, if you're storing that in a tabular way, are you doing it the same way every time? Um, are you doing it consistently over a certain period of time? Uh, are you making sure essentially, again, that you have high fidelity, even very basic, tabular data. I think that's probably the biggest thing, the biggest problem, you know, I've seen in, in a short time, um, you know, selling a product like Boodle is it's just to say, okay, we'll, we'll make this, you know, CRM entry later or this particular, um, you know, timestamp on a, on a particular human being for this campaign doesn't really matter. No, you have to have some kind of practice um, and good discipline for data collection even if you, you have a very, very simple tool that's doing a simple collect, you know, like a CRM, that makes all the difference in the world when you're trying to, to really make best use of it and generate the best insights from it, whether using a, you know, a tool like Boodle or not, frankly. Switching gears to entrepreneurship, because you've been an entrepreneur uh, multiple times and uh, you've sold a company. So I'm curious how do you kind of keep that same entrepreneurial DNA? What were some of the lessons learned from, from building companies now that you're working? I mean, I guess you're back in a startup, uh, you know, as a chief growth officer, but what were some of the things that, that you learned as an entrepreneur that you kind of carry with you from marketing perspective? You know, it's, that's a great question. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think that, you know, really what enables success in a startup is, having a company full of, even if it's, you know, five, 10, 15 people, people that are very curious about, you know, how to reach out and acquire new customers, right? That they have that kind of intellectual curiosity and everybody's in the same boat in terms of, um, you know, again, trying to find good customers whose problems your product or service can solve. 
So I think that's a really big, in, in terms of just conditions, I think that's a really big thing. And it's, it's really important um, you know, to have that in a startup. Uh, in terms of just kind of the lessons you know, I've taken with me about you know, marketing from a small business, I think what I've learned is that creating some level of, of simplicity in your messaging and your cadences, especially when you start selling a new product or a new service is essential, right? Keeping sales and marketing kind of hand in hand on the same page, driving towards the same customer objectives and the, the same kind of, um, you know, customer acquisition objectives, I think it's just really, really important. And, and again, you have to have, um, especially in the startup world, but I think this does apply to bigger businesses. You need to have sales and marketing teams that are, are really, again, for lack of a better way of putting it, on the same page. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about all things Salesforce. You can discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM. You can put your customer at the center of every interaction, automate engagement, and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. We love Salesforce. Check them out. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Mr. Anderson, are you ready? Ready to go. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? I hate to say this, Monopoly. I'm dating myself. I'm a kid of the 80s, right? (laughs) I mean. Number two, what is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Anything that I don't have to cook for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Hidden talent or passion? Man, that's a great question. Pretty boring. Um, I don't think I have any hidden talents. Uh, you know, my wife might say loquaciousness, but I don't think that qualifies. What is the worst duty that you got put on in your whole time in the military? Oh, any peeling potatoes? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a rough question because, you know, as a lieutenant or captain, right, you kind of decide your level of pain. But uh, I would have to say, anytime, you know, helping out with guard duty on a forward operating base. Uh, when you're off mission, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's that is yeah. always rough. I was once once I had to fill. It was like I forget the numbers, like 200 sandbags or something like that, and it got canceled. And then they just made me do something else. And I was like, I feel like filling the sandbags would have been pretty yeah. awful. But I think whatever I had to do after yeah. that was worse. Doesn't help when you have massive ADD, right? Like it's like, oh man, yeah. I got to move. I got to freaking move. That's why I joined the army to start. So I could actually get out and do things and not sit at a desk all day. So, you know, it's funny. I think the, the worst duty that I ever had now that I think about it, we had, uh, when at West point for those of our listeners who don't know, basically there's you, uh, on like Saturday, I think it's Saturday nights or something like that. Basically, certain people have to like stand guard to make sure that I don't know something basically people aren't doing silly stuff. And, uh, I had, I took my buddies like we traded or whatever. So I had back to back. So I had to stand for, um, it was like six hours and, uh, it was nine degrees outside. And let's just say wearing wool uniforms in nine degrees for like six hours straight was uh super rough not as warm as it sounds 
No, yeah, it was pretty in upstate New York with the wind howling uh, off the Hudson. But uh, yeah, lots of lots of fun stuff. Uh, okay, what about what is your favorite weekend getaway? That's a good one. I we have three kids, my wife and I. Still, getaway probably doesn't mean the same thing now that it used to. But we actually live uh, right right across the street from a national park. So I would say hiking in Great Falls uh, National Park with my my kiddos is probably uh, the absolute best getaway nowadays, or the closest we get to getaways nowadays. Best advice for a first-time head of growth? Talk to customers, right? Be um, pound phones, talk to people, understand their problems. Don't force things down their throat. Listen to them, right? Because Quite simply, creating a product or service is all about meeting somebody's need. And if you can be humble and you can get out there and you can want to solve people's problems, you're going to learn a hell of a lot about your customers and you're going to learn even more about your products and service and uh, you know essentially where it needs to go. Awesome. That's it. That's all we got. Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, everyone should check out Boodle AI. Uh, any, uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, this is just a great time. Thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, hopefully we get to do this again. It's certainly something uh, I'm passionate about. And, uh, you know, I understand for all those growth professionals out there that's, you know, big market out there for a lot of the tools that, you know, we have in play. You know, just be uh, careful what you look at and make sure that uh, you're using your existing, you know, structured tabular data in conjunction with these tools if you want to find those kind of fast insights but that would be that would be my only advice awesome thanks man take care marketing trends podcast is brought to you by salesforce discover marketing built on the world's number one crm salesforce put your customer at the center of every interaction automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. 
the speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.